Hey, good morning. So it's, it's good to be here. Our family's actually been away for three Sundays, which I don't know if I've ever done that many Sundays in a long time. But we were um, in Hawaii paying a pastoral visit to our missionaries. It's what we called it. Right? Oh, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> no, um, but it was really good. We got to spend some time with Craig and Sheila Mosley, who are doing super well and doing really fun things and just great things that are unfolding on how trades is going to get used in missions in the nation. In the nations, I should say. And just beautiful things happening there at the same time while they're getting Kona base ready and organized for a continued influx of missionaries. And they're in charge of that whole base, which when you get there is actually quite an impressive responsibility. And then we got some time with Dale, who's getting ready to lead a missions team to South Africa. Um, and he's getting them all organized and vaccinated and everything. And he's so excited, which is really fun. He's, you know, just watching Dale just thrive as he leads is, is cool. And then we got some time with Amy, fresh off coming back from the Send in Brazil. Did, did you tell them about the Send in Brazil? So, you know, we got to see her literally the day after they came back. And so they did the Send in Brazil, and they had 180,000 people come to three different stadiums. Yeah. 180,000 people and a million, over a million people who watched online. And the send is about adopting foster care children, it's about reaching our universities and our campuses, and it's about missions. That's the focus of the send. They had 180,000 people there, they had 7,000 people in the stadiums give their lives to the Lord, and they don't even know how many online. They had over 40,000 in the stadium commit themselves to missions. And they don't know how many online. Right? And, and Amy was just talking about, she's sitting there, sitting next to Lauren Cunningham, who's in his 80s now, who's been, you know, known as one of the greatest missionaries of our time. And she said, sitting next to him while he's going, I have never seen anything like this in my life. It's just, it's an amazing time in the kingdom of just things moving. And, and now they're back in Kona going, how do we prepare ourselves for the amount of missions people who are about to hit? So, yeah, it's a good problem to have. So, yeah, so it, it's really fun just catching up and seeing what is happening and just connecting with people from our body who are in missions. And then at the same time, I just, I've heard, I keep hearing great reports of what's happening here. So I heard that Nathan gave a great word on silence and solitude, that Mariah came and talked about repentance, and then Dennis last week talked about prayer and fasting. And I'm just continuing hearing reports of people who are saying yes to Jesus, people who are getting delivered, people who got set free from addiction, just good things happening. And it's so fun to know God is moving here. I mean, I feel some, a little bit of excitement, right? Are we so happy to see? I mean, watching people get baptized, like it makes me cry every single time. It's so good. It's so good. So I, I had to come and connect myself back into like, okay, we're in a series right now. We're, we're talking about being followers of Jesus. And when I introduced this series last month, I just talked about what it really means to follow Jesus. 
right? And we talked about how that salvation is, you know, the Bible talks about salvation as a point of getting saved, and then it talks about an ongoing journey of salvation, right? So you know that we were saved and we are being saved, which is why we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we are a people who are saved and we are being saved. And so that journey is what we're really talking about is then we learn to become followers of Jesus. And I talked last month about that word follower, another word for us that we would perhaps be more familiar with is the idea of being an apprentice of Jesus, which means I learn from him. I learn from his lifestyle. I learn from his teaching. And the goal is, is I become like him right? And so when we we talked about that, we talked about how in that journey, then we organized our life around three main goals. And the first goal is that we be with Jesus. It's really hard to become like somebody that we actually don't really know. So the first step in is we step into being with Jesus because the idea is as we're with him, we get to know him. And then then the second goal is that we become like him, right? So as we be with him, there's a principle in the Bible that says we become like what we behold. So the more we spend time with him, the ongoing experience should be that we actually begin to become more like him. And then the third goal is that we do what Jesus did. We do the works that Jesus did. And so that is really what we're gonna be talking through over a longer period of time, the be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And we've been in that for a little while. So we've been in the be with Jesus portion of that. And so that was where, you know, when Nathan talked about silence and solitude, it was really the goal of like withdrawing into the quiet place so that we can commune with Jesus. Right, And then Mariah talked about repentance and, and really one of the things that happens is when you start being with Jesus is there's some transactions that begin to happen in your heart. Repentance is a piece of like the kingdom coming at hand, right? And, and then Dennis talked last week about prayer and fasting, which is about learning to get life from the spirit, not from the flesh. Now, that's not all it's about, but that's my one-sentence summary, right? And so this week, I want to talk about being with Jesus through the Word. And I'm going to warn you, I asked for this topic. I love this topic because I had the experience of when I rededicated my life to Jesus, I had this amazing experience that the Word came absolutely alive to me. I have the experience of it being a source of life, which I know not everybody gets has that same thing. For whatever reason, that's one of the ways that God worked in me. And and so I love the Word of God. The written Word of God and me have had a long-term history together. And so I'm like, please let me talk about this topic. But then I knew I was going to have a shortened amount of time because we had baptisms. So I'm going to warn you because I'm like, well, I'll just talk about what the Word talks about itself. And then I realized there was way too much. Like, I want you to think, what's a promise in the Word about being in the Word? And tell somebody next to you. 
Okay, good. I'm glad that I could hear murmuring because I realized like there's way too many promises in the word about the word that there's no way I can do them all. But I'm going to try and do as many as I can, which means I'm going to move at speed. So your goal is just to catch something that makes you want to be in the word. Does that feel fair? But the thing that I want to say before I really get into it is that the primary goal, when we talk about this, and as I talk about the word, and as I talk about being in the word, I just want to cover that the primary goal of it is about relationship. It's not about performance. It's not about do, 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 so that you can be acceptable to Jesus. Our relationship with the word and our approach to the word is about connection. It's about, I want to be with you, Jesus, and I recognize that one of the ways that I be with you is entering into the counsel of God, which is held in here, right? And because one of my observations, and this could just be me, but I grew up in an environment that had a lot of disciplines, and we learned a lot of the disciplines. We learned the disciplines around being in the Word, and we did lots of um, scripture memorization, and there was very clear path of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And in me, it turned to guilt and shame, not to life. And that was fairly normal in our environment. In fact, it's not uncommon that I run into people here and there who feel like they can't be used by God because they don't read the Word enough or they don't pray well enough, or they don't, and there's this thing that's happened that's like felt like this level of performance that you have to do in order for God to do something in you or with you. But then as what I've observed is because that has never led to life, because it's led to guilt and shame, along the way when people have discovered that that's the spirit of religion, they throw the whole thing out. So I'm free and I have no disciplines. Well, that's also a problem, right? Because the disciplines are about my connection. The discipline, I practice discipline out of a desire to be in the presence. I I don't practice discipline because I have to. I practice discipline because, God, I want to be with you. And the motivation of the heart is what's going to produce the right fruit, right? And so here's the deal. You are so free that you get to choose to be with Jesus. Isn't that good news? And here's the thing. And this is a part of, again, how I'm going to come back to this, is I want a lifestyle of habitation, not visitation. And when I say that, it means I'm like, you know, sometimes the danger of our language a little bit is like, because we love encounter with Jesus. I love encounter with Jesus. I love coming on a Sunday. I love the experience that we get when we're together. I love that there's something happens that we worship when we worship congregationally that's different than what happens when I'm personally. That's a scriptural principle, and I love it. But I don't want to wait until Sunday to get filled up with the presence. I don't want to wait until a really good conference. I don't want to wait until a prayer meeting. I don't want to wait until I'm so dry and thirsty or desperate or in a crisis that, oh, I I have to have Jesus. That's what's called a lifestyle of visitation. I, I visit him every now and then. 
No, I want a lifestyle of habitation, which is like I live in the presence with the presence day to day. That was what was provided for us, right? And so I just want to start with the promise of John 14, verse 23, where this is Jesus talking. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And just in case you're asking, the word word is logos, which is actually most commonly used in reference to the written word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. And I just want to set up right from the beginning that in this goal to be with Jesus, in this goal to live connected to his presence, the key to a lifestyle, one of the keys to a lifestyle of habitation is keeping his word. It's a very direct, look, God, his word. That's what it's, that word, keep God the word. And in that place, it attracts the dwelling, right? And so it's just that thing of like, do I want God to draw near? Yes, I mean, I do. Do I want God to draw near? Well, we have a promise. Keep his word, he comes. It's really simple. And, and you know, so Dennis talked last week about prayer and fasting. And, and one of the things that I, he talked about was, you know, how we are spirit, soul, and body. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I'd really encourage you to listen to it. Um, but he talked about how we're spirit, soul, and body. And so often we try and attract life or through the flesh. Yes? You guys remember this? So we try and get life, we try and get energy, and we try and get strength through the flesh. And, and yet the reason that he talked about prayer and fasting is because he talked about how true life actually flows from the Spirit. And, and so prayer and fasting is a way that we actually break the hold of the flesh and connect to the life of the Spirit. Yes, and he talked from John 6, 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, the context of that was it was right after he'd fed the 5,000, the miracle, where he'd multiplied food, and he'd fed the 5,000, and then he left, and everybody followed him because of that miracle. And it said they wanted to make him king by force. So they come to him, they see a physical miracle that had physically fed them, and they were like, let's make this guy king. And he comes to them, they come to him in a massive crowd, and Jesus takes it, and he moves it from a physical reality to a spiritual reality. And what he says, he basically says to them, you're here because I gave you bread, but I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And he moves it to a level of like, you have to partake of me. But the way that he said it was so offensive that the crowd is like, no thanks. And they're out of there. Because they liked the miracle at one level. But they weren't ready for the spiritual reality of like, you, it's through the spirit, you have to partake of Jesus. Right, So the whole crowd leaves because they're like, this is way too hard of a teaching for us. And then the disciples are offended. 
It says the disciples are really upset. Well, why are they a little bit offended? Because Jesus was really popular for a minute. Jesus is super popular. He's got the power of the crowds behind him. They want him to be king. And Jesus goes so left field that they all leave. It just doesn't seem like what you should or would do. It's like now is your time to harness the power of the crowd. Jesus, what are you doing talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? Sound like a crazy person. And so the disciples are all upset and they're left and they're complaining. And Jesus just says to them, look, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and a life. Because he doesn't want connection through the physical reality. He wants the connection of the spiritual reality. That word, it says the spirit who gives life. My words are spirit and life. That word life means to cause to live, to make alive, to give life, by spiritual power to arouse and invigorate, to restore to life, endued with new and greater powers of life. So how powerful is this? How powerful is it? You know, there's this vital understanding that this isn't a history book. It's not just a biography. It's not dead words on a page. There is something inherent in the word of God that actually has spiritual power to arouse and invigorate. There's something in this word that actually causes life to come, that causes dead things to live, that actually breathes life into us. And I don't know, have you ever had that experience through connecting to the Word of God? Like, wave at me if you've had that experience. Well, that is good news. You know, I just had the experience again the other day when, you know, Aaron and I were due to get on a phone call with a couple out of town who weren't doing well in their marriage. And we talked to them once already, And it was like a pretty bad situation. Like, he was blaming her and she was blaming him for the problems in their marriage and neither one of them was willing to move. And I got up that morning and I knew we had the phone call that evening when I got home from work and I just was like, I don't want to. It's gonna be a waste of my time. These two are just, you know, I had a bunch of words in my head that would have described each of them and why why this was never gonna work. Right, and so I'm getting up in the morning, I'm like And I go to have my quiet time, and you start getting in the Word, and I don't even remember what I read, but in the middle of whatever it was that I read, it immediately sparked my thoughts to that situation. And whatever it was, it allowed God to say, you are not thinking about that situation like I'm thinking about that situation. Because you don't have hope, and I do. And you sure better not show up in that situation thinking all of these things about those people and that there's no hope because they're like really selfish. And I'm like, I, like in my quiet time, I'm repenting and I'm reconnecting to what it is that God is saying because he's a God of hope and he's a God of redemption and he's a God of nothing is impossible. And all of a sudden I'm like, you're right, God, nothing is impossible. 
And if we're gonna be people of the word, we have to believe that there's a word for every situation. So I start declaring, God, you are the God that makes dead things come to life, right? And we get on that call and oh my gosh, was it an amazing call. Massive breakthrough. But I'm so aware that what happened is my time in the word caused something to spring to life inside of me. And when I showed up, I had, because I had hope, I had life. Had I showed up like I had woken up that morning, I don't think we would have had the same result. Right? Because the word is a lie. And so we cannot afford to believe the lie that it's boring. And sometimes I think we took that on somewhere because we took it on that it was something we had to do rather than something that we get to do to cause power to come alive inside of us. And so in any place that there's a lie that it's just boring and this really hard thing to do, we actually have to cancel that belief system because if we come to it in that way, we'll experience it in that way. And yet if we come to it with the sense of like, there is life and there was power in this thing, think of the anticipation in which we begin to read. You know, one of the other trends I've seen is I don't have to read my Bible because I just talk to God and God talks to me. Now, I don't have very long in this message, so I'm going to like, sometimes you like feel like you should probably take time to set up a gentle answer, but I'm just gonna answer this straight from the scripture, right? That, that thought that if God talks to you, you don't have to read the word. What does the Bible say about that? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, the first principles of the teachings of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for they are only a babe. Do you understand that maturity is associated with being skilled in the word? And it is our relationship with this word that helps train us to hear that word. It is our relationship with this word that teaches us the skill and the discernment that we need to operate out of the heard voice of God. You know, and we cannot afford to stay disconnected to this. If God says that this is what trains us in righteousness, if this is what gives us skill, if this is what gives us maturity, then we will stay immature outside of this. You know, and the thing that concerns me too, and a little bit connected in the same way to what Dennis talked about last week, is if we don't use this word as a source of life, then we'll most likely turn to some form of counterfeit for life. And it's something that I noticed a long time ago that used to be very bizarre to me until I discovered it in the Word, is one of the things that I started to notice was that if I went a longer period of time without a quiet time, I actually like turned grouchy. 
So I would, you know, you let, let a few days go by and suddenly I'm snappy, suddenly I'm grouchy, suddenly I'm frustrated, suddenly everything annoys me. And it took me a while to notice that there was actually a pattern there, that there's something that happens in my time with God, like, and it, you could see it all through the word because his words are spirit and his words are life, that cause life to be flowing enough inside of me that I show up more pleasantly. And then when I cut myself off from that life source, suddenly I notice I'm not as a nicer person as much by myself as I thought I was. You know, there'd be times I'd be in conflict with my husband and I'd be like super, and I'd be halfway through and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, it's not you. I need time with Jesus. Because the way I'm showing up in this family isn't my best self, because what happens when I draw from life, living water flows through me. When I cut off the source of life, what I've got left is like stagnant water and apparently it's not that pleasant. But, but then let's look at the model of Jesus. Did Jesus know the word? Hey, well, he was the word made flesh, but did he also know the word? Yeah, he did. And do you think he knew the word because he just appeared as God made flesh who knew the entire Bible? Or did he come to earth as a man and have to do it the way that we did, which means to know the word, he had to study the word. Yeah. And so I just want to point to Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him. He said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and shall serve him only. You know, if you look at this story, Jesus had just fasted for 40 days. So he's at maximum physical weakness. He fasted it as a man. He was at maximum physical weakness and that's when the devil came to test him, right? And in that moment, in maximum physical weakness, what did Jesus lean on? The Word. In the moment where he's got nothing in, the power that was in the Word was enough for him to stand on. Do you understand? Like he didn't have to engage in argument. He didn't have to reason with the devil. He didn't have to go and weigh and wrestle until he got peace. He, all he did was declare the word. And do you notice three times it ended the argument? Like there was, it, he spoke the word and it was done. He didn't have to, you know, and, and that's what amazes me. The power of the word that he drew on at the moment ended the argument. And then the devil just tried to move to another time. Well, how about this one then? How about this one? And every single time he met him with the written word. And I just can't help but wonder, 
Especially in that first one, where the first thing he responds with is, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, the context for that is Deuteronomy 8. And in Deuteronomy 8, God is talking to the Israelites and he says, do you wanna know why I led you in the wilderness all these years? You know, he says, I led you out there because I was humbling you and I was testing you and I wanted to see what was in your heart and I wanted you to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus is in the wilderness You know, he's fasting, he's out there by himself and he's wrestling through. And I wonder if in that time, he's actually feeding himself from the word that he knows. Like I'm out in the wilderness. Well, what's the purpose of the wilderness? Oh, it's in Deuteronomy 8. It's to humble, it's to test, it's that I learn. And so he, you know, I just can't help but wonder if that was already there. And so when the enemy comes and it's like, hey, do this, he's like, oh no. I've been on a word that declares this, right? And there's this principle that happens in the word. And I think it's demonstrated out of Jesus is that when we feed ourselves on the word, it becomes a store inside of me for tomorrow's season. You know, I, as I'm in the word, I begin to know what God is like. I begin to know his ways. I begin to know his nature. I begin to know what he's declared. I begin to know what he's, the way he's operated in the past, right? And as I feed that and it becomes a store inside of me, when I run into a situation, what comes up? A word comes up to meet it that I've already put in there. Why? Because faith comes by what? And hearing by what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So if you want the word of God that ends an argument inside of you, you put it in in advance. And you begin to build strength into your life. And sometimes it's a word for this season and sometimes it's a word that you're gonna need for a future season, but the spirit of God knows how to go draw it out. And I'm not saying, look, when hard things happen and you don't have a word, Go get a word. It doesn't nullify that you can't go to the scripture right now and go into the counsel of God and find what you need. But I love it when an argument is over so quickly because the word was already inside of you. Okay, so that was a real blitz through some of the things that the word promises about itself. So I'm gonna put them up here for a review. Our relationship with the word is a key to God dwelling with us. The word is a source of life and power to us. The word brings us into maturity. The word of God in our mouth shuts the mouth of the devil. And the word creates a storehouse of truth inside of us that becomes a source of supply for the circumstances of life. That was all some of the scriptures we just raced through. So how do I build a relationship with the word? How do I build a relationship with the word? Well, my first question is, Where are you looking for life? How do you build a relationship with the word? The first thing you do is you check your belief system about what is it that is a source of supply and life and strength in your life. Because when I begin to believe in the true nature of this, my heart will turn to it by itself. Oh, I need life. I need supply, I want power, where do I go for it? Where it's already been promised, right? 
And then I come relationally. I, this God, like Jesus, you are the word made flesh. The word, this is you in a written form. I don't wanna just learn about you, I want to know you. Would you reveal yourself to me through here? I am going to read expecting you to speak. I'm gonna read believing that you're gonna reveal yourself. I'm gonna read believing that in these pages there is living relationship with my God. I'm gonna believe that you're gonna train me with your counsel. I believe that you're gonna begin to speak into every circumstance of my life. I'm gonna believe that the word that I read and hear is gonna plant something inside of me that can spring into life and power. And are we all hungry for that? Yeah, we're hungry for that. And so I'm not coming to check a box. I'm not coming to tick off, I read five more chapters today, I'm really doing well at my Bible reading plan. And I begin to meditate on the word. I often rewrite it out because I know it helps my memory. I like to press into commentaries because I wanna understand deeper what it means. Whatever it is for you, it doesn't have to look like it does for you. Find out how you best engage in a relationship with the word. And then here's something that's really important. Because the thing that will start to happen is you let the word correct you. You know, if we read the word and we're only looking for promises and the things that are really nice and we skip over the things that challenge, then I'm looking to control my relationship with God. I'll only take the pieces that I like, thank you. Whereas when we come into relationship with the word, one of the things and one of the first things that, we, that start to happen is it begins to correct us. And, and this is super important because the word is called a sword for a reason. But here's the deal. And I was thinking, and I, I, I would need to do more study on this because I was thinking it when I was just down here in worship, so I'd wanna double check. But the two times that I could think about the word being called a sword was one in warfare against the enemy and one according to it, judging the thought and intentions of my heart. I never saw it used as a sword against another person. And the danger that happens is if we don't let the word, the sword of the word correct us and judge the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, is we read the word for knowledge and then what we see all over the place is I try and pick it up and use it as a sword against other people. And if I'm ever in the place of using the voice of the Lord or the word of the Lord as a sword against somebody else, I think I've skipped over the part where it was supposed to correct me. Because in Timothy, it talks about how the word is God breathed and its job is to teach you in doctrine, it's to correct you, it's to rebuke you, and it's to train you in righteousness. So my relationship with the word should be changing me. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen where it's like, look, we're human. Sometimes we think we're so right about things. You know, and we see somebody doing something or we're in conflict with somebody or we're having this struggle of an interaction and and we're over here like, well, I know what's wrong with you. If you would just be more obedient to Jesus. You know, I'm gonna tell you. 
might tell you what you're doing wrong. And then something happens and we begin to get in the word and you're like, man, well, in James, it talks about there's an earthly demonic kind of wisdom that brings division and there's a godly wisdom that's like pure and gentle and unwavering and full of peace and mercy. Well, when I use that as a measuring stick, uh uh-oh, right? I want the measuring stick of the word to like cut that stuff off of me before I go and make a mess. Before I do something that I think is wisdom and has a demonic thing behind it and its fruit is division. And so what happens is the word actually turns the attention back to me. And the word becomes a force of correction. The word becomes a force of discipline. And it says in 2 Timothy, it trains us in righteousness. And I should be experiencing that here. But because I'm in relationship with God, as I experience it, it is a beautiful experience. And I loved it when Philip was here in the encounter weekend. He says, he disciplines us because we're a son. When the correction comes, it's a sign of his fatherly affection towards us. You know, Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what I was just talking about. There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the son of God, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the times of need. Here's the deal. It says the word of God is living and active to the point that it judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart and then goes on and says, and all things are open and laid bare, right? That word open actually means like you're down on the ground with your neck exposed, like a victim that's about to die. Like that level of you're that exposed. Well, this is what happens is the word of God, when we come to it, lies us open and bare before God. Why? Because it brings us back to Jesus. The the progression of it is we come and it starts dividing the thoughts and the intentions of our heart and brings something open and lays us bare, but it doesn't stop there. We don't lay open feeling terrible about ourselves. Then it brings us into Jesus and says, come before the throne of grace with confidence. There you find grace and there you find mercy. So the progression of being in the word is that we actually end up Empowered. Because as we get in the word and as the thoughts and intentions of our heart are laid open, we actually realize, oh, I need grace and I need mercy. Forgive me, Jesus, I'm not as pure as what I thought I was. I'm not as good as what I thought I was. There's some things that you you revealed in me and I need the grace of him. If you revealed it to me, then you're giving me an opportunity to not be that anymore. And so I show up before the throne of grace, completely laid bare, nothing hidden. And I pull on the grace and mercy of heaven. And and to go back to Timothy, it talks about our relationship with the word. It says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, when we go through that process, when we allow the word to lay us open, when we come before the throne, we attract the empowerment of heaven, and then what was life to us becomes life through us. That's the whole process. Do we want a relationship with the word? Yes. Okay, then let's pray. So Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that we hold in our hands a source of life and power. We thank you that through your word, you call dead things to life. We thank you that through your word, you become a source of supply to us. And God, we just ask afresh for a new anointing to be in relationship with you through your word. We just ask over every person in this room the experience of life leaping off a page. In fact, we invite, we go to the level of we invite your instruction, we invite your correction, and at the same time, God, we invite a fresh experience of coming before the throne of grace and mercy and discovering the empowerment of heaven. God, we just invite again your word to shape our lives in a whole new way and cause it to become living water in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and stand. Would you do me a favor? Just put your hand on the neighbor real quick, on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. And just say, fresh revelation in the word of God. Yeah. Um, I want to invite you to consider starting a Bible study. So, so often we're looking for somebody else to start a Bible study, but um, all you have to do is like take a book like Romans, say, invite three or four friends over to your house, and once a week say, let's just read the Word and learn from it together, and let's just grow together. Because a, a, ch- a lot of the beautiful things that happens in community is you'll Oh, I never saw that scripture that way. When somebody else says, do you see what I see? I didn't see it that way. We all gifted differently. And it's amazing when you get around the table with a cup of coffee and open the word of God and you're in community and you start dialoguing over a verse and you go, you have a different perspective than I. I'd never thought of it that way. You get edified. You get built up in your spirit, man. I encourage you, take a step and start a Bible study. That was such a good word, Carter. Thanks so much, so much. If you're here today and you need prayer or you need Jesus, it's a great time to come to Jesus. So we have a ministry team up here that would love to pray for you in any healing or any miracle you need. And uh, otherwise, God bless. Have an amazing week.